This week on the Mic Drop, we get to know new SMU head football coach, Rhett Lashley. He tells us about what he calls his big vision, dreams, and goals for the Mustangs, and why Dallas is a competitive advantage in the era of the transfer portal and name image likeness opportunities. Rhett also reveals the coach who taught him the most and the person he considers his boss. Spoiler alert, it's not our friend, SMU Athletic Director, Rick Hart. Dallas Morning News columnist, Tim Collishaw stops by to review the Dirk Nowitzki Forever 41 retirement celebrations, the important lessons Luka Doncic can learn from that scene, and he also gives us his take on what the Georgia Bulldogs need to do to knock off Alabama and what he thinks is going to happen in the Cowboys postseason. But first, Mike Flasky joins us to talk about the Club Corp Classic, a new PGA Tour Champions event coming to Dallas that combines some of the biggest names in senior golf with celebrities from the worlds of sports and entertainment. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with Next Level Marcus Carr of Tony Fay PR. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Monica, we have arrived somehow at episode number 45. Now, I was tempted to highlight A.C. Green, who, who wore number 45 for the Mavericks when he set the all-time NBA Ironman record. I was tempted by Derek Holland, an early social media star with the Rangers uh, and a player I always liked and pulled for. I was really tempted by Locke St. John, who, who appeared as a pitcher in seven games for the Rangers in 2019. And, and the reason I was tempted is because Locke St. John sounds to me like a villain from Days of Our Lives, my wife Joe's favorite show, or maybe the bass player in a British heavy metal band. I don't know, but we're not going with AC, Derek, or Locke today. We're going with left winger Brendan Morrow of the Stars. We haven't highlighted a Stars player, I, I don't believe, since uh, Yuri Lettinen back on episode 26, I believe. Brendan Morrow, first-round pick in 97, played 13 of his 15 NHL seasons with the Stars, succeeded Mike Madonna as captain in 2006, was a great leader, won a gold medal with Team Canada at the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. A couple interesting little tidbits. His father-in-law is Guy Carboneau. Now, you may remember early in Morrow's career with the Stars, Carboneau was at the end of the line in his great career. So he was 38 or 39 when he was a teammate, and Morrow ended up marrying his teammate's daughter. Uh, so you don't hear that too often, but he is the son-in-law of Guy Carboneau. Uh, Rob Shickley, longtime Stars PR maestro, uh, points out that Morrow scored one of the biggest goals in Stars history outside of the Stanley Cup final. In 2008, a home playoff game against San Jose, Morrow found the back of the net in the fourth overtime to send the Stars to the 2008 Conference Finals. That was at 1.24 a.m. when that goal went in. That was pretty, pretty historic. And, and last thing, go to YouTube, and if you punch in Vote Morrow, you will find a very funny spot that the Stars did, kind of a fake political commercial for Morrow lobbying for votes for the 2007 All-Star Game, which was at the American Airlines Center. So a really good guy and a great leader on the Stars for a long time. Episode 45, we're thinking about former number 45 on the Stars, Brendan Morrow. Monica, massive mic drop moment with the Dirk 
Nowitzki jersey retirement this week. 41 forever for sure. Phenomenal job by the Mavericks. Great job by Dirk with the speech. He got emotional when he thanked the fans at the end, uh, which is not something we we see a lot of uh, from Dirk over the years. Had to pull out the Kleenex. Uh, how will you remember Dirk, uh, Monica? Well, well, Sully, I'm not going to focus as much as what he did on the court because I think everyone knows and appreciates uh, and recognizes what he's done on the court and what he's done for the Mavericks organization. But I really, when I think of Dirk, I think about what he does, um, has done for our community and continues to do with uh, with our community and giving back to the youth and providing different opportunities, whether it be through camps, clinics, those types of things. So I, I think our community involvement, uh, he's very involved with our ATP Dallas Open coming up here in February over at SMU uh, from a tennis standpoint. And for sure, uh, I think we talked about a couple episodes again, uh, ago uh, in terms of our bucket list of who we'd like to have here on the Mike Drop podcast. And I think Dirk is uh, at the top of our list. So looking forward to uh, uh, having him on here, hopefully in the next few months and uh, episodes. Our friends at Tony Fay PR are working on a, a Dirk extravaganza, so stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, Monica, we'll be we'll be talking with Mike Flasky a little bit about a new golf event coming to Dallas. We also had news this week about another big time event coming to Dallas. These events just keep coming and coming to our area. Uh, Toyota Stadium will host a U.S. Women's National Team uh, soccer game uh, as part of the She Believes Cup in February. They'll play. Iceland is part of a February 23rd doubleheader that also includes the Czech Republic versus versus New Zealand. Uh, talk about the impact that that event could have in our area. Yes, yeah, Sully, that, that event that She Believes Cup uh, has been hosted here in Frisco at Toyota Stadium before and one of the, the biggest draws uh, in terms of women's soccer. Uh, it comes from a, at a great time for us, honestly, and uh, as we're you know narrowing down, hopefully, uh, our selection as a host city for the World Cup. So that's especially powerful. Uh, I, I like it in terms of <clears throat> we're about to start our uh, year-long celebration for the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So uh, there's a lot of good synergies there with the uh, with the She Believes Cup and. Uh, I think we'll be looking forward to some other announcements out at Toyota Stadium and other events that they have coming, uh, uh, as well as a few others throughout the uh, throughout the city. Um, you did mention big bids uh, earlier, and you know these big events that are coming. So at the beginning of you know 2022, that's kind of what our main focus is uh, right now. So we're working at the Sports Commission on our NCAA Men's Final Four bid for 2027 to 2031. Uh, uh, we're going to start ramping up that World Cup rugby um, bid. Uh, there are many cities, I think over 27 cities, uh, you know, possibly in contention there, and just uh, trying to get where the United States is the is the host at this time. So we've got a long way to go, but um, we we received some information from FIFA on the International Broadcast Center. So that bid of ours is uh, due at the end of January. So a quick, quick turnaround of a lot of technical information that we have to provide there. And uh, it's up between uh, Dallas and Atlanta, I think, uh, in that scenario from a World Cup standpoint. And um, let's see, other things. It's, it's cheer season in Dallas. Uh, so uh, those of you who are used to uh, seeing cheerleaders running around downtown in January and February, we're vastly approaching that uh, that time period. And uh, uh, then one other key thing, Sully, that we're working on, um, it's Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Uh, and 
uh, we're really working with our professional teams to engage and uh, and have some messaging around that. And then all of our professional teams and venues and, and Sports Commission and, and uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau are going to be doing a, a training on that so that uh, during these major events and just in general, uh, people have a, a more of an awareness there. And that was part of our human rights plan that we presented to FIFA. And we, we decided there was no need to... To wait until the World Cup was here, or you know, to to the point that we were awarded a host city, it was time to get going and put some of that plan into action. So, uh, getting a getting a good start here in 2022. As always, the hardest working executive in mm-hmm. sports entertainment and show business, no. Monica Paul. Everybody. So we've got SMU head coach, head football coach Rhett Lashley. We've got morning news columnist Tim Kalashaw coming up. Back in a moment with Mike Flasky to talk about a new golf event headed to our area. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And now we're pleased to be joined by Mike Flasky. Mike founded Mike Flasky Entertainment uh, in August of, of last year after a long and very successful run as the CEO of Diamond Results International, Diamond Resorts International. Mike has founded two new golf events, the, the Club Corp Golf Classic, which is coming to our area, and the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions. There was a recent announcement, pretty exciting, a four-year agreement with PGA Tour champions to bring the Club Corp Golf Classic to Las Colinas Country Club. Uh, it all starts on April 22nd. Some of the biggest names in senior golf and some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment uh, are committed. Annika Sorenstam, Tim Brown, friend of the podcast, by the way, Mike, Roger Clemens, Kevin Millar are in. Uh, this is going to be exciting. And welcome to the mic drop, Mike. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on and love to spend some time with you all talking to the great people in the Dallas community. Well, Mike, this is very, very exciting news. Uh, I know I was excited when it came out. Uh, you know, different kind of kind of format. Can you walk us through what to expect, for, for what the format is, and walk us through what uh, our listeners and attendees could expect from the tournament? Absolutely. So <clears throat> the format is, is unique, and it, it will be the only format on the PGA Champions Tour like this, and it's a proven formula where we take a Champions Tour player with two celebrities or two Champions Tour players with two celebrities, and they will play together for the fans and for television. But there are actually two separate golf tournaments going on at the same time. The PGA Tour Champions professionals are playing an aggregate event for a couple million dollar purse. And then you have the celebrities who play a modified stable format and they're competing for a half million dollar purse. And all of this kind of happens together. And uh, it's really amazing. I mean, um, as in the intro, they talked about, you know, I was fortunate enough to have also founded the LPGA's Tournament of Champions, which is now called the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions. And the television ratings uh, from this same format on the LPGA tour uh, for three years in a row, just 
outperformed every non-major LPGA event out there. And also it outperformed every day of the 2021 Olympics women's golf, as well as Saturday's network TV coverage on NBC of the Solheim Cup. So this is really something special for the Dallas community. Wow, that's very impressive. So those who aren't able to attend the event will be able to watch it on, on TV. Is that correct? That's correct. It'll be broadcast on, on Golf Channel, and it will. Uh, the Champions Tour plays three days versus the traditional four-day PGA Tour format. So it will be uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, they'll be able to catch it live, and it uh, should be a great telecast. So we talk a lot here on, on the mic drop about community and investing in the community. And I know, obviously, you probably have some charitable partners. Um, is there a relationship with Momentus Institute? Uh, do hit proceeds go uh, towards uh, charities and benefiting that? Can you talk a little bit more about investing in our, our community? I, I certainly can, and, and with pleasure. Um, we early on, Club Corp has a longstanding relationship with the Salesmanship Club uh, Club Corps, Golf Course, Craig Ranch is the host of the Byron Nelson since it moved out to McKinney. And they when, when they came to me about starting a tournament for them, they said, look, we got this relationship and this partnership. And the Momentous Institute is something that's near and dear to our heart. And there's already momentum there in the salesmanship club. We want them to embrace this event. We think it's the perfect place for the charity dollars to go. So there actually are two charities, the, the Momentous Institute and then the first T uh, of the Greater Dallas. And so we're very, very excited. We're going to do a lot of things tournament week. Uh, the, the one cool thing about having all the sports and entertainment stars, which there'll be 50 of them competing on that side, uh, is they all are so gracious, you know, as it relates to providing silent auction items, live auction items. And we'll be that week really focused heavily on raising much-needed funds for those great charities that we're talking about. Well, Micah, I'd love to hear that. Uh, we were always very blessed with uh, our rights holders and the events that come here to Dallas. Uh, yes, we want to focus on on a you know successful and big event and hitting great numbers and TV audience as well, but uh, thankful that uh, you're also investing back here in our community. Um, you know, we're, we think here on the podcast, and for sure me and my regular day job that, you know, Dallas is the premier and best sports destination out there. So, um, you know, why did, why did you pick Dallas? Why did you think, okay, you know, we can make this successful here in the, in the Dallas Las Colinas uh, area? Well, it's a great question. And there's, and there's really a lot of moving parts, you know, to the answer. Uh, but to try to be as concise as possible, we felt like there was a void in particular in the Las Colinas market with the Byron Nelson moving out to McKinney, that's a deep, deep, rich golf market. And with the PGA Tour moving up north, it, it provided an opportunity for us to come in with a PGA Tour champions slash celebrity event, as I mentioned earlier, that we know is a proven formula. And the sports and entertainment stars and the support that the Dallas community gives being such a great sports market uh, we know it's going to be record attendance. We know it's going to be embraced. We already see, you know, through the sponsorship side of things, just how powerful the community is and, and how much interest there was in Las Colinas having a professional golf tournament back in that particular market of Dallas. And so, yeah, I mean, all of those things, uh, you know, played into the fact that we wanted to be in that market. But primarily, it's also the corporate headquarters for Club Corp. 
Uh, it's the Club Corp Classic. They are the title sponsor. It's it's kind of their north star of their, if you will, brand campaign. And so what better place to do it than in their deepest, most rich market where their corporate headquarters is located. They also recently put $6 million into Las Colinas Country Club, and they really want to show the world how great that golf course is. And they want to put the best players in the world in the PGA Tour Champions players out there to really see just what a test is going to be with this redesign. And we think that all of those things kind of equal the answer to your question. Mike, you've got, you know, strong star power. Some of the names we mentioned, who else is on your wish list? Well, we, we also run the American century out in Tahoe. We run the Hilton grand vacations in Orlando and we'll have over a hundred plus celebrities on a wait list that want to get into this golf tournament. It's interesting. The celebrity community loves in the sports and entertainment world love to compete in golf and they love to walk the fairways in particular side by side with professionals on tv and so we have no shortage of people trying to get in this event if you go to the clubcorpclassic.com you can see there's already like 20 that are committed but if you look at people that regularly play in our event um, the NFL season is still going on. The beauty of this event is this event is going to be uh, when there's absolutely nothing going on, no mini camps. The draft, I think, is the following week for the NFL. So we expect, like in Tahoe, we'll have great, great NFL representation. We already have, you know, some NFL retired players that are committed, but we expect that uh, folks like Patrick Mahomes, uh, Kelsey, the tight end over there, Matt Ryan, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Troy Aikman, uh, Dak Prescott, we already have Emmett Smith committed. We think all of these NFL players, you know, are going to come out schedule permitting and, and certainly want to commit or excuse me, want to uh, compete, you know, in the event. So it's going to be a who's who as it relates to the NFL, Major League Baseball. We've got some really cool entertainment. We got Brian Bumgarner, you know, from the office who's committed. We got Larry, the cable guy who's already committed. Uh, we've got music as a big part of what we're doing here. Cole Swindell, uh, Randy Hauser. So it's going to be uh, a really cool, diverse group. Uh, but I would say, you know, and you mentioned it in your intro, you know, Annika Sorenstam is, is a great friend, her and Mike McGee. Um, you know, there's great history in the Dallas market. As I recall, you know, she competed against the men at Colonial and, you know, right. she, she competes in our uh, tournament in the celebrity division in Orlando, and she's committed to compete, you know, against the men. And it's so much fun to watch because she's going to play the same tees as the men. And you're going to see these athletes with swing speeds of 135 miles an hour that carry the ball 350 yards. And you're going to see Annika who hits at about 240, just pick them apart with rescues. And then she's just incredible to watch. And, you know, she finished in the top uh, two or three in Tahoe this summer. She's finished second in Tahoe in the past. She finished in the top five in Orlando. So it's really cool to see her come out and compete. Blair O'Neill, who is another female who was a great golfer in college. She's a Golf Channel personality. She's competing in the celebrity division, and she'll compete from the same tees against the men and traditionally top tens. So there's a lot of cool dynamics in there. In my NBC Sports days, uh, I was involved in the American Century with John Miller and Gary Quinn and, yeah. and those, uh, those, those great guys. Uh, but I know sometimes in approaching the celebrities, nobody wants to be a, the next Charles Barkley 
you know, the national TV coverage really ups the ante. And it's one thing for Matt Ryan or a, or an active athlete who's obviously super competitive uh, to, to be able to come out and compete. But what do you say to, to that celebrity that you really want to get, mm-hmm. but they're afraid they're going to be embarrassed? It's a great question, and, and and as you well know from your history there, it's a real thing, and, and there are dear friends of mine that I play golf with every day at my home club that will not come out and put themselves in a situation like this, and, you know, it's, it's a little disappointing because the reason that we use the modified Stableford format is because if you have a double bogey, you pick up and you move on. And I think some people are concerned that they don't want to you know, be seen on TV hitting a shank or something along that line, but they really don't do that. I mean, the TV crew, they're professional and they know how to cover it. And, and to be honest, they know who to cover live shots on in the celebrity world and who not to. So in the end, it's a little bit of a misnomer, but it is a real thing. And what we try to tell them is, is we try to tell them, look, come out, relax. The format is designed so that nobody gets embarrassed and have a great time. And, um, you know, for the most part, it works. But, you know, look, the the, the format that we use is for competitive uh, types. And it is something that, you know, they're, you know, quite frankly, Pebble Beach was founded on a different principle. And when you can walk alongside a tour professional and you get a handicap, because this is a gross event, right? Um, It does bring out a few people that don't want to compete in this event. They may help their pro one or two holes on a net basis, but in this event, you know, they don't have the ability to really uh, compete, so they don't come. You you really have had a fascinating career in that you've sort of cross-pollinated the, you know, hospitality and destination travel and and big events, uh, you know, with golf and, 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 and some other things, you have a favorite, you know, kind of moment or memory or story uh, that stands out from all the various events and, and experiences you've been a part of? Well, you know, when I was the CEO of Diamond Resorts, we were an independently branded company and, <clears throat> and we were going head to head with the likes of Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, you know, et cetera. And so we had to do things different. We, we couldn't just compete with them as just, you know, Diamond Resorts. So I had the good fortune of having great people around me and, and I had a vision of, of using experiences to do something different for our members. And, you know, we had 450 some thousand families that entrusted us with their vacations. And so the North Star, you know, of our experiential platform every year was in January, we had our golf tournament. And what we saw that validated that was we saw our members in by the thousands would get on an airplane and come down to participate in this event. You know, January in Orlando is a pretty good place to be because it's cold, you know, a lot of places up north. And, you know, it really kind of was the launching pad for over 3,000 of these unique special events a year. So I would have to say, you know, seeing the creation of, you know, the what was the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions, now the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions, is probably the highlight of my career. You know, it's my baby. It allowed me to springboard over and, you know, for the great people at Club Corp, Dave Pillsbury and his team, they saw the success and they said, look, you know, you have the time now. Would you consider coming over and doing this for us? And, and we're proud to do it. So, you know, we're going to bring the same thing to Dallas and um, that would be my answer. So. But uh, just one last thing uh, before I lob it back to, to Monica, you, you are an expert in these experiences and, you know, we didn't see Omicron come in. Who knows what the world is going to look like? But what do you think the future holds for 
for big experiences and travel and destination and events like the ones that you, you work on? You have a feel for what might be coming down the road, what people's expectations are, what people crave now. Well, there's a couple of questions in there and, you know, I, I can't speak to the virus or the next mutation or, you know, what it's going to be. The only thing I can say is, is that it looks like science is proving that this strand, albeit maybe is a little more rampant, it's weaker at least, and it's more like a traditional flu, you know, than some of the earlier ones that were much more powerful. So we all pray that this thing's running its course, but as it relates to experiences, the, there, there's never been a stronger demand for experiences and companies are realizing that their core product is just simply not enough. They've got to go out and they've got to offer opportunities for people to do things that, you know, that money can't buy in particular, you know, in hospitality or the subscription based business, like a club corp, that's a membership golf membership. People want more than just their golf membership. People want more than just their vacation accommodations or, you know, their hotel. And so what we, perfected was we perfected you know ways to create experiences that money can't buy and you know the validation of it was you know after I sold Diamond Resorts to Hilton for 3.9 billion dollars I really didn't have the ability to keep up with the calls and the requests that were coming in and so I created this little company in Mike Flasky Entertainment and unfortunately, we have to say no to probably three of every five opportunities that come our way because we're only interested in partnering with somebody that's willing to do it right and is willing to invest not only the financial resources, but the time and energy to make sure that the brand standard that I would put my company behind, you know, is met. So, you know, I would say in short, to, to succinctly summarize your question, um, experiences are exploding and experiential marketing has never been, um, it's never been bigger. And, and I think that CEOs around the globe are now figuring out they may not have been a first mover, but they better get in the game. Well, Mike, I think you're leading right into my next question in terms of uh, you talk about experiences and are there special experiences or opportunities for Club Corps members here? Well, I must just say locally, but uh, all over the world for this tournament or ancillary events that may be going on that, you know, they have the opportunity to take part in or attend or buy tickets to. It's, it's really a cool question. This event is unlike any other event on a couple of levels. We've already talked about kind of the two tournaments within one, but one of the things we created for Club Corp is we created a regional qualifier around their system of 300 private clubs around the country. And what they are in the process of doing right now is hosting these regional qualifiers where they're going to have 10, the top five net and the top five gross will qualify and work their way up to a national qualifier, which will take place in Dallas. And I believe they're bringing 50 people from around their system, the, the top 50 that qualify from the region up. And then 10 people from that tournament are gonna qualify to get to play alongside the professionals and the celebrities on live TV. Uh, and they'll have their own tournament within those 10 and there'll be a top net winner and there'll be a top gross winner so it's a way to really activate and get all of the club corp members involved and having an opportunity to not only watch this on tv or have an opportunity to come out and, and support it in person but but actually get to play in the event 
And it's just been amazing to see the support and, and the excitement, enthusiasm from the club court members um, that are trying to qualify to be a part of this. So that's a very unique twist. And, and that's something that uh, we're really excited and, and proud that the PGA champions tour or tour champions um, worked with us uh, and, and allowed us to be able to integrate that aspect into the event. Well, my, I have some friends, Mike, who are our club court members and they play golf there on a regular basis. So I'm going to have to dial them up uh, later today and see uh, where they're at on their qualification status here. So uh, that, that'll be a good uh, uh, discussion. <laughs> I, I, I did want to also tell you, too, uh, before we get off that topic that, that is really um, unique, is that for our Pro-Am days, one of the really um, cool things about the, the PGA Tour champions is that they understand they're in the entertainment business and they go above and beyond. And the Pro-Am experiences are like none other. Um, and so in our Pro-Am format, you're going to have a PGA tour champions player you're going to have a celebrity and then you're going to have three amateurs and so what we're doing uh in addition for the club court members is we're allowing them if they want to play to actually be able to buy an individual spot but outside of the club court membership base you actually have to uh, buy a team to be able to compete so and, and enjoy the festivities so that that's also another benefit well, we definitely know the Dallas area is golf rich uh, in terms of uh, their thirst for getting out to play and uh, being able to attend these events. So uh, everyone head over to clubcorpclassic.com for more information there. But Mike, before we let you go, uh, you know, with your, your resume and everything that you created and all these events, I have to ask, what is, uh, what's left on the bucket list? Uh, what type of events uh, is, uh, you know, if, if I could achieve this or... Hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and, you know, I've been really blessed and uh, <clears throat> I, I don't really know the direct answer. I mean, in, in, in short form, um, you know, we have the tournament of champions for the LPGA. We now have this um, unbelievable event coming to Dallas that, uh, that we're doing for club Corp. Uh, we probably would take on one more, um, you know, nationally televised event in the fall. Our schedule probably allows for that. But in addition to that, I do a lot in music, and we haven't talked a lot about music today, but uh, we did over 140 live shows a year uh, for our Diamond Resorts members uh, throughout our what we called our Diamond Live platform. And so we've been working with companies and, and bringing music to the table for them. And we have a unique model where we partner with companies and we have relationships, you know, direct with these artists that we've worked with for years. And so music is a great way to bring people together and, and evoke emotion. And so a lot of companies in particular coming out of the back end of COVID or we were coming out of the back end before this, this last strand, but, you know, they're getting back into their, you know, their annual president club trips and their award awards trips and you know so so we do a lot with music and, and we do it very selectively um and, and really it's a, a lot of stuff is charity based you know a lot of these companies are looking for ways to attach their name to doing things like club corp is going to do you know for the dallas community and, and the momentous institute and so when you kind of tie golf music and charity in with a great corporate partner you can really make magic happen well, Mike, uh, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, we know that uh, the Dallas area is going to be supporting your Club Court uh, Classic uh, over in April. Thank you for joining us here on the on the Mike Drop, and uh, we'll look forward to having you again soon. 
I thank you all and I've enjoyed the time this morning and uh, I'd like to thank the folks in the Dallas community for supporting the event and look forward to seeing them in April. Thank you. And now over to Rachel for a word from one of our sponsors. All right, Sally, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas Zoo. The Dallas Zoo provides guests with real life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than two thousand animals. Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com today to purchase your tickets. Okay, thanks, Rachel. I can't promise that I'm going to the Dallas Zoo this weekend, but our family has supported the zoo recently. My daughter Jenny and her new husband Q went to the Dallas Zoo Lights experience uh, over the holidays and loved it. So, so we are over here at the mic drop. We appreciate the support of the Dallas Zoo and encourage everybody to get out there and check it out. Uh, now we are really pleased to be joined by the new SMU head football coach, Rhett Lashley, who was named on November 30th to coach the Ponies. He spent the previous two seasons as the offensive coordinator for the Miami Hurricanes. Of course, Rhett was uh, SMU's offensive coordinator in the record-setting 2019 season in which the Ponies went 10-3. and He's had a few other stops as offensive coordinator. I would say most notably at Auburn from 2013 to 16. That included an SEC championship and BCS championship berth. Only coach, uh, only assistant coach ever nominated for the uh, Frank Broyles Award uh, four times. So that's pretty cool. Played some quarterback at Arkansas back in the day. Uh, welcome, Rhett, to Dallas. Back to Dallas. And welcome to the mic drop. Thanks for some time today. Know how busy you are. Oh, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. And uh, we're actually in the middle of the move right now. So it's uh, there's a lot going on, but uh, really excited to be on here with y'all. Well, we're, we're excited to have you. Now, this is, you know, your first time as a head coach. You, you've, you've, uh, you're a young guy, only 38, right? But, uh, but you've toiled at this for a long time, uh, starting at, you know, Springdale High School in Arkansas. So I'm sure over the years, there were many times you said, you know, when I'm in charge, we're going to do it this way, or I'm going to be able to use this idea, or we're going to do this. So what, what, if, what kind of things uh, uh, are you able to do now that you are the head coach that you've always wanted to do? It's, it's funny you say young at 38. Uh, I think this will be my 15th year in college. and I sure don't feel young. So, um, yeah, that's a great question. You know, there are a lot of times you, until you're in this seat, you say, you know, I'd do it this way or I'd do it that way. It's the old Monday morning quarterback that everybody gets to do. And, um, you know, so it's been a good six or seven weeks. There's a, a lot of things that uh, I'm sure over time, you know, I'll, I'll realize just like anything else, you know, a lot of good head coaches that I've worked for, I'll, I'll understand why they did a lot of things they did probably and why things happened the way they did. Um, but the one thing that hadn't changed is my real boss is still at home and she tells me what to do all the time. So I'll, I'll still be asking her for permission for everything. I, I have seen that movie myself, uh, Rhett. So, so, so I, I get that. Uh, you know, when I worked for the Mavericks years ago and our, our uh, fantastic head coach, Dick Mata used to say that the, the, the assistant coach is 18 inches away. It may as well be 18 miles. It really is a, a, a big difference, but we know you're up for the job. So give us a, uh, a recap on, you know, where, where you stand, how you feel about recruiting. You came, you jumped in, you know, last time you moved quickly to hire you when uh, Coach Dykes headed over to TCU. Uh, transfer portal, recruiting, uh, uh, where do we stand? How do you feel about things? I feel really good. You know, we, we've got our, our 10 on the field coaches hired now, and I feel, you know, I don't think I could have dreamed of, of a better group of guys just 
over the last six to seven weeks as the staff has taken shape. Um, you know, there's some guys that we got on our staff that, you know, I would have never thought we would have had a chance to, to, to get on our staff, but they wanted to be in Dallas. They wanted to be at SMU. And so I feel great about our staff. I think that's where it starts. You got to have good people around you. You got to have good people that are, are going to be leading our players. Um, and then you talk about recruiting, you know, in the world we're in now, college football is literally the whole landscape is changing under our feet at, uh, you know, just at a, in a way that we've never experienced right now. And so I've probably spent more time recruiting our current roster than I did other people. And not because our current roster, they want to be here. There's good kids. It's just, you have to get to know them um, anyways, but you got to do it quicker than normal. You can't wait till you come back to school in January and start the spring semester because with the transfer portal and, you know, the uniqueness of coach Dykes going to TCU. So it's just 30 miles down the road. And there's just a lot of, of maybe unique factors to this that, um, you know, I was able to spend a lot of time with our guys over the last six weeks. And, uh, and then as we were hiring coaches do the same. And I think you've seen a lot of our players say they want to stay at SMU. They want to stay in Dallas. And I think that's pretty cool to see their commitment to our program, the commitment to the city. And because um, there's a lot of great schools out there that we have good players that uh, I'm sure they'd love for them to come help them out. And for those guys to want to stay and try to continue to build upon the, the last, you know, four or five years success that's been going on here at SMU to me, that was the biggest thing. And uh, we were able to sign eight guys mid-year and, and we've got a transfer receiver already that's coming from North Carolina. But uh, the best thing probably we have about, we have a good number of scholarships available as we go through the spring process, either high school kids in the January process to get to that first signing day in February, we could still add a few pieces. And then obviously in the transfer world, um, you know, we're looking for multiple year guys though, that can come in and, and be with our program for a while, not just, uh, you know, one year guys if we can, but we've got a good opportunity and, and, and good amount of scholarships to try to continue to improve our roster for next year. Monica and I talk a lot on the mic drop about what an advantage Dallas is for businesses wanting to get involved with sports here for our sports organizations what yeah. about for the, for recruiting and for the portal it's got to be an advantage and, and the name image like this era yeah you know all the opportunities that come from from Dallas the business community all the SMU alums does Dallas factor in do you think as a real advantage uh, for you especially with the portal and, and NIL oh it's an incredible advantage and uh, I think that's why uh, you know there's a lot of reasons I wanted to come back to SMU, but that's a big reason. You know, Mayor Johnson's been phenomenal supporting our program and, um, you know, Dallas's football team. We're the only Division One football team in, in Dallas, and Dallas is, you know, in just about any list you're going to find around the country, it's in the top five in whatever that list is, you know, from whether it be jobs to media market to all the things in between. And so, um, you know, we have the unique advantage of we have the city of Dallas and the state of Texas to recruit our high school players, which is phenomenal. We got – there's not better coaches anywhere in the country than the state of Texas and then the city of Dallas. And just, we don't have to go very far for our high school recruiting, which nowadays is almost like your, your draft, you know, and then the portals kind of become like free agency, but so many kids either want to come home to Dallas, come home to Texas, or even if they're not from here, uh, they will, Dallas is an attractive opportunity. And to your point, you know, with the name image and likeness situation, there's so many businesses in the city of Dallas that want to support our football team. And the best way to do that is to support our football players. And that's the rules that we play with now. They're allowed to, um, you know, receive sponsorship and endorsement opportunities. And there's just so many incredible businesses and, and supporters that can, you know, add to maybe the value of coming to SMU for us. So uh, it's a huge advantage. You're known as a bit of a quarterback whisperer. 
uh, and, uh, you know, uh, offensive, uh, creative play caller. Will you be calling the plays? I, I will, you know, um, I've, I've been fortunate to have some really good quarterbacks, you know, so those are the guys throwing all the touchdowns and making all the plays, but, um, you know, I learned from, um, uh, you know, years ago, I played for Gus Malzahn in high school and I just, you know, you always want to try to put your quarterback in position to be successful. And so that's all I've ever tried to do. You know, learn those guys, what are their shrinks, help them build on those, help them improve some areas, but put them in position to be successful. They're really the coach on the field. But when it comes to calling plays, I feel good about the staff we've hired. You know, Casey Woods is going to be our offensive coordinator. He'll run our offense. He'll he'll lead the staff, lead the team. He'll do a great job. And then, you know, Rob Likens and, and Garen Justice and Johnny Brewer are guys that have come with me from Miami. So uh, that have been with me and understand kind of what we like to do. But they'll also hopefully help make us better. You know, every year you got to get better. You can't just do what you were doing the year before and expect it to to carry over, but, uh, you know, we want to be aggressive. Uh, we'll try to be as creative as we can. You know, we kind of feel like it's our calling in life to try to stress defensive coordinators out as much as we can. So, uh, you know, we want to make their life miserable as much as we can, and we'll continue to do that if we can. Our, uh, our producer, Marcus Carr, is a, is a grad student at SMU, and he's, he's got a hot take or a hot question for you, Coach. All right, let's go, Marcus. Yeah, Coach. Obviously, the team's been really successful the last four or five seasons. What what are you, what is this staff going to do differently to take them to the next level? Um, obviously, that November slump has been, um, you know, a prominent thing. So, how how are they going to get over? How are y'all going to get over that? That's a great question. You did have a good one ready to roll. You know, I think <clears throat> fortunately for me, being there, you know, in eighteen and nineteen specifically in nineteen when we won ten games and and did a lot of things that hadn't been done in about, you know, 30 years. Um, felt good knowing that what it can be done and, and kind of the blueprint. You know, I think um, every year is different. Every team's different. And I know the last two years it's been a big topic of, you know, playing better down the stretch and finishing. You know, there's an old saying they remember in November. And uh, so that's that's a big goal we've got uh, got in front of us for this year's team. Uh, we want to finish well. Um and so that's a lot of the things we'll be doing in the off season, the spring and the summer, we'll be trying to put ourselves in position to finish well. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that though. I mean, the, the, like last year, for example, if you just look at SMU schedule, the front was a lot, the front part of the schedule was a lot easier than the back end. And so you got to be fair to the guys there, but um, they played some really good people down the stretch, some really close games. And um, we got a pretty tough schedule next year. There's not any, any gimmies on there really, but um I think finishing in November is something we can do to try to take the next step. You know, to your point that there's been a foundation of winning over the last three or four years. And I think Coach Dykes deserves a lot of credit for that. And, you know, I feel fortunate to have been a part of that at the beginning. And, you know, for the last three years, SMU's won 25 games. And so there's a, a little bit of a culture of we expect to win being creative, which is good. And so there's a foundation now. We just got to build on that. And it, it's really hard to build something, but it's even harder to sustain it. And um, so we got a work cut out for us, but uh, we got kids that are excited. I think we got a great staff. And at the end of the day, we got a great university, a great city behind us. And, um, but there's no mistake in the elephant in the room is we got to finish better. So, Rhett, you, you mentioned earlier the, the big boss, uh, Lauren, your, your wife. So I'm yeah. going to switch a little bit to your personal story because <laughs> we want uh, some of our listeners and our Dallas residents to get you know, to get to know you on a personal level, so give give us a little history of who is Rhett, and uh, I hear you have two sets of twins. Uh, so how can you balance uh, you know, everything at home as well as uh, what you're building uh, at, about to start building uh, or continue building at SMU? 
I don't know if we can balance it. You know, uh, it's funny. I think right before I came on, there was something being talked about the Dallas Zoo. We always <laughs> joke we made we made a zoo. You know, it's two by two and it's crazy. So uh, we're bringing our zoo to Dallas, and you know, uh, we we do. We have tw- twin boys that are eleven, twin girls that are five, and uh, there is never a dull moment in our house. Uh, I don't know how my wife does it, and and how we keep just the the four walls of the house intact most days, but. Um, you know, we, we do it as a family. We do it together. They're very involved. They'll be around. They'll, we're not, um, you know, in our profession, I think a lot of times people try to um, shield their family from everything and not really get involved in the community because it's just hard. There's a lot of pressure when you're losing, you know, my kids will go to school and they'll get, you know, they'll feel it. And, um, you know, but that's just not how we do things. We, we dive in and, you know, we try to get into the community. We try to uh, get a lot of relationships built and they're the, the, the boys, especially, you'll see a lot of them. They're fired up because they think now they have like lifelong sideline passes, and uh, which is good for me because now I can use that at the house. Like, well, if you don't obey your mom or do this, I guess you're not standing on the sidelines this week. So, um, you know, they're they're fired up. It's been fun. You know, my kids get to do a lot of cool things and things that other kids don't get to do, and so I've always looked at it as that balances out the the pressure. And, you know, when we're not playing well, they have to go to school and, and get razzed or they have to move or a lot of the other things that are challenging maybe for our lifestyle. So it bounces out. But, um, you know, my wife, my family, that's the priority. Family is, is everything to me. They'll be they and our coaches, families will be a big part of our culture. We want to have a kind of a Mustang family atmosphere um, because I believe you can only win and be a good football team football program if you're connected if everybody's together and close and and to do that you gotta it all flows uphill right you gotta be connected at home you gotta be connected as a staff it all flows down to your players so I think one of the biggest things that you know we're developing young men and and how they see me treat my wife and my kids you know more is caught than taught so you know someday they're going to be having their own family and how they see me our staff how we interact with our families how we interact in the community that's almost as more important than what we tell them and uh so that's that's who we are. It's crazy, though. There's no question. Well, I can't wait to, for the days when your sons come home and start telling you, Dad, run this play and start drawing up oh. different plays, or that already happens. Oh, no, that's already happened. Okay. And uh, every, oh, yeah. every Thursday night I come home and they want to know if we have a flea flicker in. That's their big okay. deal. If I can tell them we got a flea flicker in the game plan, then they feel comfortable. And, uh, and then after the game, you know, they'll, they'll want to know, like, why we ran it up the middle on fourth and one, or why did we do this inside the five? So – uh, for everybody out there who wants to question what we do, don't worry. I'm I'm getting hit from all sides when I get home. Yeah, okay. No, the media, the general media, and he gets it when he gets uh, gets home from his family. Um, Rhett, you've had the opportunity to coach under some fantastic coaches. You mentioned Gus Malzahn earlier at Auburn, Auburn Sunny Dykes, obviously, when you were here uh, before at SMU. Uh, what have you learned from those various coaches, and what, what do you think you're bringing with you to SMU? You know, we could have a whole 30-minute conversation about the things I've learned from some really good coaches, starting with, you know, I played for Gus in high school. I uh, played for Houston Nutt at Arkansas, who actually lives in the Dallas area now. Um, you know, played for him and GA'd for him as my first kind of coaching job. You know, worked for Gene Chiswick. We won a national championship. Um, you know, Pat Sullivan at, at Sanford, the former uh, Heisman winner from Auburn. Uh, Randy Etzel, you know, Sonny Dykes, Manny Diaz. So I, I've worked for some really good guys. I've learned a lot from all of them. And, you know, 
you learn a lot of things that you would do maybe differently you know, it's like anything else. You see them go through certain situations that are tough, that maybe they, you know, nothing prepares you for a lot of things you uh, sometimes have to, to go through. And so you learn how to handle a lot of different situations. So there's just over the last 15 years, there's a ton of things that I've been able to learn from all those guys. And I could go down the list, but I'd say, and I'm appreciative to all of them, you know, like Gus gave me my opportunity, him and Houston to, to get into college. So I'll forever be grateful. Gus, you know, gave me an opportunity to be a division one coordinator. Um, but Pat Sullivan at, at, at Sanford probably made more of an impact on me in just 11 months than anybody. Um, he hired me at 27 years old from a GA to an offensive coordinator. That makes no sense. I have no idea why he did it. Um, and, um, but just in those 11 months, he really taught me a lot about that. Everything's about people. You know, life's about people, but coaching's about people. And it's not just about X's and O's and, you know, going crazy and being hard on kids and getting them to do this. And it's about relationships. It's about people with your players, with your staff. Um, and just watching how he interacted with everybody. He always had that great trait that I think is, is just people that have it. I think it's a gift to whoever he was talking to. He made them feel like the most important person on the planet earth and in the room. And he was really locked into them. And I think that's hard to do. And, um, but it was genuine and he just instilled a lot of confidence in me. Um, you know, again, as a first time coordinator, I didn't know what I was doing. I made all kinds of mistakes. And, you know, instead of him always correcting or berating me, he was always building me up. And so I just learned a lot from him that I think I hope has helped me how I've uh, led my staffs as a coordinator over the last 11 years. Hopefully I'll lead my staff now as the head coach, and but also how I interact and lead our players. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, of great things I've learned, but but he would probably be the most influential for me. So you mentioned earlier, uh, obviously, SMU is Dallas's team. Uh, and you know, we've talked numerous times here on the podcast that of uh, the marketing that uh, SMU has really done to embrace that, to even national reach there. Uh, if you had a few words for, for our Dallas community to say, come on, you know, really engage here and, and get out and support our football program or all SMU athletics for that uh, and really take ownership of uh, SMU as our, our you know, D- Division One program, yeah. what would that be? I would just really ask them to come support our players. You know, obviously, when they're in the community and all those things, yes, but, but come support our players on the Saturdays. There's six to seven Saturdays we play at Ford Stadium a year. And, you know, I think that's the next big step. We have some really passionate alumni and passionate fans. Um, but the partnership with Dallas is real. Um, we want to be um, someone who represents our city when we go on the road and play people. We want to be someone who represents our city and everything we do. Our mayor's embraced us um, as SMU, as, as, as Dallas's university and Dallas's team. And, and in turn, SMU, we're embracing Dallas as our city. And um, I don't know if people understand how much it would mean to our players for Ford Stadium to be full. And, um, you know, we've got so many things in a city like Dallas, there's just so many things competing for your time. But, you know, from South Dallas to North Dallas to Central Dallas to everywhere in between, we're, we're in Highland Park, but we're Dallas's team. And we want everybody, you know, I think our roster now starts to look that way. Uh, we've got players from all over the city, all different parts of the DFW area, and they want to stay and they want to put on for their city. I mean, I can't tell you, even when the two years I was coordinator and we kind of started the Pony Up Dallas and the Dallas's team and the born and raised stuff, like that's real from our end, but the kids embrace that. And um, I just encourage them, you know, we want it to be a great partnership. I think if you if you put put the two together, we could do something super, really, really special here, you know, um, and I'm talking really special. There's been national championships won here 
And, um, you know, history is a great indicator in a past performance of what can be done. And it doesn't guarantee it, but it means it can be done. And if the city will uh, continue to do what they've done over the last few years and just embrace us, that's all we ask. We'll continue to embrace them and represent them with class and do our best to bring a championship home to Dallas. But um, we'd love to, to, to fill forward. And, and our players, I can tell you, they notice it and they would really, really appreciate it. Hey, if Cincinnati can get in the uh, college football playoff, there's no reason SMU can't, right? There's no question. I mean, uh, that's a team I, my, I know when I was here, we took them to overtime. Um, you know, they were in the playoff this year. They were deservedly so. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen? I think there's a good chance of expansion in the playoff soon, and we're in such a good league. If, if we can win our league, we can be in that conversation. And, you know, we would love to, you know, if you're looking at a long-term vision, to be playing in that, that playoff um, at Cowboy Stadium one year, and that be SMU in there. No offense, but not Cincinnati. And so, uh, hey, to have big vision and big dreams and big goals, um, that's the only way you can hit them and achieve them. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of, a lot of things we got to check off the list before we can get to that point. But um, we're not scared to, to reach for it. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll finish with this. So obviously, in a few days, we've got Georgia and Alabama playing for the, for the, for the uh, championship. How would you approach it? You know, Alabama's had their numbers, seven consecutive wins over the Bulldogs, obviously two phenomenal teams, well-coached, the whole thing. If you're, if you're Kirby Smart at Georgia, uh, how do you approach this game? Shoot, I don't know, don't know if I'm the right guy to ask because Alabama whipped our tail game one this year at Miami. But, you know, I, I do over my, my six years at Auburn, had a lot of experience with going against both Alabama and Georgia, both Kirby and Nick. And, and they do a great job. You know, I think <clears> – <throat> Look, at the end of the day, the only chance – Georgia has the defense to win the game. They do. But you've got to make Alabama's defense uncomfortable. And that's really easy to say and really hard to do. Um, you know, they're going to have to be aggressive. You know, and I think they will. Um, you know, I, I know I know Stetson Bennett well. He came to football camp when I was at Auburn. And it came down, is he going to walk on at Auburn or walk on at Georgia? And I think I think his granddad or somebody – I may be wrong on that – went to Georgia. And he went there and look what he's done. But – He's going to have to be aggressive. They're going to have to be aggressive. You don't beat Alabama trying to, to manage the game and, and play tentative. You've got to be aggressive, take the fight to them. And, you know, there's some risk in that. It doesn't always work out. Oftentimes it doesn't work out, as you can see, for people. But, but that's really the only chance they got is to be aggressive on offense and then hopefully their defense, which is really, really good, you know, plays to their, their potential. Well, Rhett, we wish you all the best at, uh, at SMU. We really appreciate your time here on the mic drop and really enjoyed the conversation. And you've got me fired up, and I'm sure our listeners too. So let's get out there and support uh, the SMU Mustangs at Ford uh, Stadium next, next fall. And uh, all the best in uh, finishing up recruiting and getting into spring ball and everything else. Thanks, Kevin. Monica Marcus, appreciate y'all. All right. Thanks to SMU head football coach Rhett Lashley. Now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rachel. And now what a blast it is to welcome Tim Collishaw to the mic drop. 37 years with the Dallas Morning News over a couple of stints. He's been the uh, lead columnist, although I don't know if Kevin Sherrington would agree with that, since 1998. Uh, was a Cowboys and Stars beat writer before he had the column. Uh, of course, this will be his 20th anniversary on ESPN's Around the Horn, if I'm not mistaken. 
and the author of the 2013 highly compelling memoir, Drunk on Sports, which I recommend in the strongest possible way. Tim, welcome to the mic drop. Thank you for that introduction. And I must have started at the morning news when I was 15. I mean, I can't be that old if I've worked there 37 years. Yeah, that that is uh, that is crazy. And and I remember when you got there and, and uh, uh, you know, I knew you were a UT guy, which uh, which always makes Monica happy when we can have a, a, a right. UT alum on the show. But let's get started with uh, uh, earlier this week, we had the retirement uh, of Dirk Nowitzki's number 41, 41 forever, they called yeah. it. Uh, what did you think of the ceremony? And what 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 do you think was the most memorable part of it? Oh, uh, most memorable I, might be the length, although that's being a little cynical. I mean, I, I don't know how long <laughs> it was. It took over an hour. Now, I, I could listen to Dirk talk the whole time. It, it took them a minute to get to Dirk, and maybe, maybe the highlights were a little lengthy at times, but it, it, but it was very cool. It was very well done. Uh, it was neat to see, you know, Sean Marion and Tyson Chandler and some of the other players, <laughs> Pesha Stoyakovich, who was in Dallas for five minutes, <laughs> you know, joining, joining the celebration. I'm sure some of the fans that were trying to scratch their heads remember, was he really? I thought he played for Sacramento. Um, but He had some uh, big plays, you know, though. He had some big plays in that championship. Yeah, big run. shots against the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big three-pointers against the Lakers. The Heat game got a little Heat series got a little rich for him, but um, you know, just Dirk being Dirk and seeing kind of the joy on his face and how great his kids uh, and wife always look. Um, you know, th- th- it's hard to be. Th- there's been a lot of superstars in this town, especially with the Cowboys, but with the other franchises too. And it's hard to be as beloved across the board as dirt, but I think it's clearly deserved. And, and it shows if you stay somewhere 21 years and play of that kind of lengthy 14 time all-star career there, uh, then, then that's the kind of thing that can happen. I thought Brian Damaris on the post game show made a fantastic point about how important this was for 22 year old Luka Doncic to be sitting there uh, right. up close and personal watching the, just the, re, the response to a professional who handled himself the way that Dirk has for all these years. Uh, you know, Luca would have grown up watching Dirk, at least the last half of Dirk's career. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have seen the beginning of it. He'd been one year old, or not, not even. He would have, Dirk would have started here the year or two before he was born. But he certainly would have been aware of his greatness over there, but I don't think he would have been really is informed about the relationship between Dirk and Dallas until watching that last night. And that's something Mavericks fans really hope connects with Luca that he wants to have the same thing and that he, you know, that he sticks it out here for 15 years, but we'll, we'll see about all that. Cowboys, uh, you wrote a column recently. It looks like uh, the Cowboys are settling into a fourth seed. Break it down for us, Tim. I mean, what, what should fans expect? Uh, well, Saturday night, they shouldn't expect much. The Eagles are in the playoffs, and they can't, they can't go anywhere by their own control. They could move from the seventh seed to the sixth, but that's all based on the 49ers losing and other stuff. So the Eagles don't have really anything to play for. The Cowboys are the fourth seed if they lose. 
If they win, they're probably the fourth seed, uh, unless the Rams are going to lose and Arizona wins and Tampa Bay wins. So you really can't control all those things. Um, in all likelihood, either way, Dallas is playing a game next weekend here. It's most likely against Arizona or the Rams. Uh, it's kind of hard to get away from that. And, and, and that's what they're looking at. And, and the team has to find a way, if it is Arizona, to play a lot better. Or obviously, if it's the Rams, that's a, that's a different challenge. But either way, this, this team hasn't played well against a really good team in a long time. You know, they beat the Chargers and they beat the Patriots, two AFC playoff teams. That was in the first six weeks of the season. And in New England's case, Mac Jones and that whole offense hadn't really gotten going. And after that Cowboy game is when they won, I believe, seven in a row. So New England hadn't really gotten it going then, but I'm not taking away anything from the victory. It's just, it's been a long time since they played a playoff quality team and played well against them because they didn't play well against Arizona and they didn't play well against the Chiefs. And they were playing a wild game against the Raiders that they lost. So they've got to figure out a way to fix that pretty fast. Before the season started, we had one media guest after another uh, uh, come on and talk about could the Cowboys do enough, improve enough defensively. Clearly that has Good. happened. Uh, although now we see Micah Parsons headed to the uh, COVID protocols. Right. But what, but what do you, what, what do you think happened has happened here? I know there were some injuries with the wide receivers, but what's happened here on the offensive side of the ball? I think if, if I had to pinpoint like an order, I think it starts with the offensive line. I think when this offensive line falls down from elite status to average, which it can do quickly, uh, this isn't three or four years ago with, with uh, Travis Frederick in the middle. So that, that's gone. And you used to have that and Zach Martin and the tackles. Now you got Zach Martin and you got one tackle that you really like. And Tyron's been hurt some. And the rest of them are kind of kind of average guys. And so I think that's impacted the running game, which has been pretty invisible unless Pollard gets outside and is 100%. And so when you don't have much of a running game, then it's all down to the passing game. And Dak takes, to me, the next burden of, of responsibility. Just seems like his decision-making isn't anything like it was last year before he got hurt or even some of the earlier times, earlier games this year. And they've lost Gallup now, so he's not coming back. He's going to have to find something with Amari where they used to have great chemistry. And now Amari hasn't had a good game since he came back from COVID and, he, and his percentage of catches to targets is, is, is lousy. And he used to be great. Um, so everything has fallen off a little bit. I don't think they're that far away if they can get some of the running game going. And for me, that means Pollard being healthy more than Zeke. Zeke can help them, but Pollard's the one who can be explosive if, and, and can get the team going like he did against the Saints. Let's shift gears over to the college football playoff championship. We asked the new SMU head coach, Brett Lashley, uh, about the game, he's got a lot of experience coaching against these two teams. 
Yeah. Uh, make a give us a hot take here, Tim. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Any chance of the Bulldogs breaking the uh, the seven game uh, losing streak against Alabama? Yeah, I think there's a real chance. This this sounds kind of dumb, maybe, but that's okay. I've done that before. Uh, it, Georgia had nothing to lose in the SEC championship game, except confidence, maybe, <laughs> and they probably lost that. They were going They were the number one team in the league land by far, and even if they lost, which they did, they were going to go to the playoff. That was very different from Alabama's situation, which had already lost and almost lost the week before to Auburn, and was hanging by a thread and had to win. And when you get into those situations with really good teams, whether it's an NFL game or something like that, it, that can mean something. Now Georgia, this is like. A, a shot of redemption that you don't usually get in college football. You don't usually get to correct a mistake um, in the same year. I was at this, the game, the last time this happened, it was at the Superdome. That's back in the days of the, one of the last games of the BCS LSU played Alabama. That was a mistake. <laughs> LSU had won the regular season game, I think nine to six and something like that. And they were not really, even though they'd beaten them, they didn't want to play Alabama again. And Alabama just crushed them. Uh, Georgia certainly won't crush Alabama, but I definitely give them a chance because the one thing we thought was their flaw coming out of the Alabama game was the quarterback. They didn't have the kind of quarterback Alabama had or Cincinnati had or Michigan had. And and, and it did really well. They played great against Michigan. So I, I think they know what they're up against and, and they've seen that Alabama passing game. They'll do what they can to not get ripped up by the Heisman winner again. And I think it'll be a really good game. Yeah, I think you're right. We'll see what happens. Now, this is the portion of the podcast, Tim, where we ask our guests to suggest a, a, a download. What are you streaming? What are you listening to? What are you watching? Could be book, music, TV, movie. Uh, you name it. Um, uh, so what do you got for us? Okay. Does not have to be uh, sports related? Um, it, the show, we're finished watching season three, and there's going to be a season four. It's called Fauda, F-A-U-D-A, and it's set in Israel. Uh, and you can watch it with subtitles, or you can even watch the English dubbed, however you like to watch it. And it's intense. And it's great. A shorter thing, if you want, don't want to do something that takes three years, is HBO recently had a show called Landscapers, which was just four parts. So that's about four hours of your time. And Olivia Coleman, who's a great actress, has won Academy Awards, um, been in a lot of good stuff. She and another English actor who was in Fargo a couple of years ago right. are great in it. But the show... It goes behind the scenes because it's kind of dealing what's in this woman who may be a murderer, what's in her mind, and the camera will go behind the set, and you'll see the other cameras, and you'll see situations that can't possibly exist, people on a bus talking to you. It, it's just very creative. Uh, so from a visual standpoint, I would recommend those. Um, I read a bunch of books last year. I'm uh, reading, I've just about finished uh, a memoir called The Tender Bar by, and it's a movie now that has Ben Affleck in it, 
that is about a kid growing up really without any male father figures, brother figures or anything. And he pretty much this bar that is on the street corner in Long Island where he lived is his presents his male parental figures, which is both good and bad. Um, and it's written by the guy who, if you ever read Andre Agassi's book, Open, you know, some biographies are better than others. And if you have a great writer writing your biography, which Andre Agassi did, uh, it makes for a compelling story. So I will go with the tender bar on the bookshelf and Fauda and Landscapers off in uh, Netflix or HBO land. I watched the first uh, 15 minutes of Landscapers and I got pulled away, not because I didn't want to watch it anymore. Right. So you have reminded me, I will get, I will get yes. back to that. What is, yeah. what is Fauda about? Fauda is about, uh, it's about kind of the ongoing battle uh, between Israel and, and the Palestinians. It, it, I think others might not agree, but I think it does a good job. It's really not a very political show. Uh, it does a pretty good job of not making Israel strictly the good guys. Palestinians strictly the bad guys. Obviously, it leans that way. It's made in it's made in Israel, but it's just got great actors in it and great storytelling. All right, we will we will check that out. So my 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 download this week, I'm gonna stick with the Dirk Nowitzki theme and recommend uh, the the Netflix uh, documentary that came out in 2014 called The Perfect Shot. All that yeah. old footage of Dirk as a skinny kid in Germany right. getting taken under the wing of of Holger Geschwinder. And, yeah. uh, and the story goes from there. So the perfect shot with Dirk and also uh, the great uh, Jim Guy, Coach Guy from the Dallas Mavericks uh, stat crew, longtime Mavericks uh, employee, uh, and the guy who keeps stats for uh, Chuck Cooperstein and Brad Davis on radio. For Christmas, he gave me The Boys in the Boat, uh, a book by an oh, author named gosh. Daniel James Brown, uh, the story of nine Americans and their epic quest for gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. I'm looking forward to diving into that. So thanks to Coach Guy. That's uh, before, before we let you go, I mentioned your memoir, Drunk on Sports. So who plays you in the movie when that eventually uh, <laughs> happens? Speaking of Ben Affleck, he has signed on. Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin uh, looks at Affleck now. I don't All know. Right. Pretty sure the film rights are still available if somebody wants to, wants to make a play for those. You know, Ben Affleck uh, or Josh Brolin could could uh, could pull it off. And but these downloads are helpful because now that with Succession and Yellowstone both finished uh, for this yeah. year, many many of us in the and uh, the Mike Drop family are on the lookout. So, so right. we will check out Fauna and Landscapers and and the Tender Bar. So thanks for joining us today, Tim. Great catching up with you once again. Uh, really appreciate the time. Know you're a busy guy. Uh, on behalf of Monica Paul on the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to our guests, Mike Flasky, Rhett Lashley, and Tim Collishaw. Thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Danielle Whitelaw-Pascura, Angela Lang, Marcus Carr, and Reeves Eddins. Uh, and nice to have uh, Chris D'Amelia back uh, uh, producing this week while so much of the Tony Faye PR crew is at Indianapolis for the college football playoff. Uh, thanks to Mark and Jay at Vocal Media, of course, our showrunner and fearless leader, Tony Faye. Until next time, Thanks for listening, everybody.